Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're exploring a new report from UBS that aims to present a framework on how best to mobilise impact investing and strategic philanthropy to deliver measurable and sustainable change. On the occasion of last year's World Economic Forum Davos Agenda, UBS offered perspectives on 10 pivotal debates that could have meaningful impact on shaping investments and markets. The focus of this new report, delivered ahead of a once again delayed and rescheduled Davos, is on just one of those trends, impact investing. Both investment capital and coordinated action from a wider group of stakeholders are now needed to achieve a more sustainable future and avoid the worst consequences of global warming. Even as societal and investor focus increasingly swings towards recognising and prioritising social and environmental outcomes, impact investing and strategic philanthropy remain too narrow in focus and modest in scale. The opportunity ahead is therefore not only to drive more capital into these two approaches, but also to apply key features of these solutions – intentionality, outcomes focus, measurability, additionality – to transform other areas of finance and society as well. Our guests today are going to explain what the specific challenge and the opportunity here really looks like. We start with Julie Hudson, Global Head of ESG Research in UBS and a member of the SII, the Sustainability and Investing Institute – Julie Hudson, a warm welcome to you and thanks for joining us. Now, the actual headline of this report is Define, Align, Refine. And let's start, well, let's start with Define first of all. Why is it important, Julie, to get the definitions here right? The first thing to say about sustainable investing is it's a phenomenally complicated field and it's becoming increasingly so because it's dealing with concepts such as climate change and biodiversity, which are complicated enough in themselves. And so anybody trying to do to work in this field, it's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose the whole time. And really, there's just no boundary to how much you can cover. (laughs) So this is why we've found it very useful to basically to draw on other people who have put some structure around these ideas. And I guess the first thing to think about really is why did we feel the need to look at this whole um, area? And this really takes me back to a sustainable investing symposium we actually held back in 2019, and it was called the Mind the Gap Symposium. And we called it Mind the Gap because on the one hand, we could see there was and still is a phenomenal amount of momentum in sustainable investing. But then if you look at almost any metric, so whether it's greenhouse gas emissions or air pollution or inequality, they're all going in the wrong direction. And so the Mind the Gap question is about how do you close the gap between positive momentum in one space and the adverse trend in all of those other spaces. And when coming down to define, and you can tell already, we've covered a lot of ground just inside that. So to unpack that, we basically looked at the work of of a couple of people. So you've probably come across Kate Raworth. Kate Raworth wrote Donut Economics. And I think Donut Economics is a fabulous concept, not least because it's slightly tongue-in-cheek because if you take the serious you know the so-called dismal science of economics and start talking about donuts it immediately puts a different face on it but donut economics what you actually do is you draw two concentric circles and the middle circle is the floor 
below which no one in society should fall. And the outside circle is the biosphere, which you should basically respect and stay within. And that space in the middle is the donut. And that's the safe space for humanity and society. And um, so we, we just found this concept is simple and yet complex at the same time. Very good way of explaining things. And then what we also did was to connect this to another body of work, which is the work of Johan Rockström and the Stockholm Resilience Centre. And they have used science to come up with the planetary boundaries. So this is things like climate change and pollution and the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus in our agriculture and so on. And for human beings to have a comfortable planet to live on, those boundaries have to be maintained. You can see immediately how that much more complicated body of science work connects straight away to the boundaries in Cape Raworth. And we decided putting these two things together was a really good way of looking at this space. And then you can basically look at those and see how they map to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And I'll stop there because I've covered a lot of ground and you've probably got questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I have. And it's it's really intriguing. And I think this idea of overlaying these different sort of models and influences to find that clarity in an area that is so complex is is really smart. I guess, though, people will say, well, look, you know, what you also have to overlay there is what has been attempted so far. And we need to discuss a little bit about existing efforts to address some of the challenges that these models help to identify. And also to talk in nuts and bolts, what's the resource situation? You know, plainly, we've fallen very significantly short thus far. But I guess we need to start to sort of quantify that shortfall and make sense of where we can address that in the most profitable way as quickly as possible. So, as you point out, the to achieve the, so let's talk about the Sustainable Development Goals, which are a kind of encapsulation of everything I've really just been talking about. There's an estimate, which I think is somewhere between, somewhere between five to seven trillion dollars per year was estimated to be needed between 2015, when the Sustainable Development Goals came in, and 2030, which is the target year. And Sometimes when you talk about these big numbers, they're just a little bit hard to grasp, really. They almost seem, you put a number on something and it's as if you're trying to make it more concrete, but somehow it makes it less so. Because a trillion dollars is an enormous amount of money and it's hard for most of us to imagine what that looks like. So five to five to seven trillion dollars per year needed to meet these goals. But then if you look out at ESG investment, uh, there are some investments that say, that are basically saying ESG funds under management, and of course this is not each year, this is just a, a balance, is somewhere between two and three trillion dollars. And the problem with that number is you can't really know how accurate it is. All that tells you is that space, the ESG investment space, has grown enormously since I started doing this, which was in 2005. So it's gone from a very small niche to a more substantial space. At the moment we're talking two kinds of capital. We're talking about the capital that flows through financial markets. And then we're talking about an estimate by the UN. And of course, all of the capital to address these problems cannot come from private markets. Private markets can do a lot, but it has to be a partnership. Hence, Sustainable Goal 17 is partnership for the goals. I still think it's not, in the, if you read the paper, the, in a way the paper isn't clear as to where the funding for that gap is going to come from. I think that's still unspecified. And so therefore, 
there isn't really anything for us to say directly on, on that. But what we have done is to identify the gap and to say, well, okay, there are, there are sources of funds out there. There are pools of money out there. The problem is not the pools of money. The problem is actually the purpose driving how that's invested. If we're talking about the progress as we uh, perceive it, if we're looking at what success looks like in the context that you've described, presumably precisely because that gap that you've just spoken about, Julie, there is a need to engage in a in a I don't know a more more transformational change a system change it's not just a question of looking at the the capital or the gap you need to look at change in a much wider sense almost I don't know if does that make any sense that was what I sort of took away from from browsing the report that's exactly what should be coming through uh, from the report and this is exactly why we pick up Kate Raworth uh, we pick up the Rockstrom work, uh, the resilience work, and we also pick up the sustainable development goals, which are in themselves actually a system. Uh, So for example, you can't just take goal number seven, clean energy in isolation, because unless you have all the things that support affordable clean energy, which means the infrastructure, the housing stock, the jobs, and so on, if those things are not also there, then the clean energy project won't be a success. So it has to be many things working together. And so what was what I think came through very clearly when we were writing this uh, was you do really need systems thinking. And that can be a, a hard thing to do because it's very easy to miss things. Uh, another thing, actually, it was funny, we began by talking about definitions. And I, I did want to ask you a little bit about, I mean, I said right at the top, you know, we're talking about mobilising impact investing and strategic philanthropy. On that latter point, well, actually, across both, across impact investing and strategic philanthropy, there is this quite nuanced concept of intentionality. And I, I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about when that's written in the report, what you exactly mean by that, because I'm sure that we'll have one or two lay listeners who might say, I think I get what you're getting at, but uh, let's be explicit about it to better aid understanding, which will hopefully then better aid driving those solutions. So we're picking up on a very um, interesting, complicated area here, which is, is systems thinking. And I can't remember offhand whether we cite Danella Meadows in this report. She was part of their MIT group uh, that wrote Limits to Growth. And she wrote something like a 100-page primer on systems thinking. So it's literally System Thinking 101. And it's absolutely fabulous because she talks about the fact that the purpose of a system, the intention of a system, can cause that system to do things that you don't expect if you're not in tune with that intention. So I quite often talk about this when I'm talking about ESG data. If your intention is to gather a lot of data, you will end up with a lot of data. If your intention is to draw meaning from that data, then you're more likely to get to a place where the data is meaningful. So what you're actually, the purpose, your purpose in whatever it might be, so whether you're putting a portfolio together or thinking through ideas for impact investing, what you want to try and achieve with that, the purpose of that, has to drive all the thinking that runs through every dimension of that. And it's, it's uh, once, once you've got that idea, then it becomes less complicated. You, know, you just hold that in your head, right? The intention of this is to have positive impact. So then that takes me to the, the second piece of that discussion. So we talk about impact investing, strategic impact investing and philanthropy. And 
I don't need to tell you that the the main sort of the so-called mainstream capital markets are much much bigger than the impact on philanthropy sectors. But the idea in our paper is some of the positives running through impact investing and philanthropy is it has a very clear idea of what it wants to try and do. And through implementation, you therefore have the possibility of recalibrating or realigning, to use the word in the paper, if you can see things moving slightly off. Whereas in the very complicated uh, sort of washing machine of capital markets, sometimes it's a bit harder to see that. Some writers in the area of capital markets, such as Alex Edmonds, have written about the purposeful company. And I think this is exactly what he's trying to get at. So in this white paper, what we have done is to look at things that seem to us to work quite well, actually, in the field of sustainability investing. And this is impact and philanthropy. And what we're gradually trying to do here is pull out principles that might work more broadly elsewhere. And clearly the gap I was talking about at the beginning is way too huge for one sector, financial services, or one white paper to resolve. But that's the kind of thinking that was running through most of us, most of our heads when we were putting it together. If we're sort of demonstrating some of the potential of what could be achieved by considering intentionality in this way, putting impact, putting outcomes at the core of of our approach in this area, does that tell us anything helpful about the way that we can make a really enduring difference on the kind of scale that we're needed? Or in a sense, does it only suggest you know, the urgency of getting an ever wider range of other collaborators involved, more stakeholders, more and greater investments into this in order to drive that longevity of, of, of impact? So listening to both sides of your question, I think we need both, both of the things you've talked about there. So on the one hand, you have the intentionality and the purpose and the focus, and that is needed to drive things forward. On the other hand, as you rightly observe, the white paper talks about many of the other stakeholders, so the governments, the NGOs, the asset owners, the companies, and so on. And with that collection of stakeholders, you have, in effect, an ecosystem, and it's potentially a very creative ecosystem. The, the challenge with change is one single focus project isn't necessarily going to get you there in this context, which is complexity itself. But you do also need the creative effort of all of those other bodies to push things forwards. And just thinking about this and relating it to existing research, I don't know whether you remember there was a, an interesting and slightly scary scientific paper that talked about a cascade of tipping points for climate, which suggested that some of the changes going on in climate would push other ones faster. And... Actually, there is, of course, a flip side to that. That's talking about the risk. But if you could create a cascade of constructive tipping points in the form of a range of different innovations, that actually could be potentially very powerful. So we don't know if we can do that yet. But I think if the the stakeholders we talk about in the white paper find the right chemistry between us, I think it's a possibility. Yeah, that's really exciting. And I I suppose I I was going to just pick up on a couple of those other stakeholders. I guess there's a, 
what are kind of a, a several sort of public realm things that I find interesting. One is the sort of what is incumbent upon and what can we realistically expect in the sort of policymaking realm to help aid this process. But also from the citizen side, I mean, is the idea, I guess, that the public needs to be better educated, more au fait with some of this nuance so they can then... I don't know, vote with their vote with their feet, if you like, and actually demand more from their leadership in whatever geography that they're in to see more di- direct action. Maybe those two things need to be need to uh, improve hand in hand. I think one sees a lot of evidence of direct action happening in the real world. I mean, after all, this is where Greta Thunberg came from, and we didn't talk very much about this in the in the white paper, I think. But when I read the my newspapers every day. I see a lot of evidence of citizen campaigns and citizen action. And that doesn't just mean getting out and protesting. It also means putting into practice things that might possibly help with, for example, the sustainable production of food. I have to confess to you, I'm a fan of farming today every morning on Radio 4. And there are some fabulous ideas in there, uh, which really are about citizens putting ideas together and pushing forwards towards something greener in the way all the things that we need every day are produced, such as as food, among other things. Julie Hudson. Well, the emphasis on alignment next is also really important. Let's drill down a little deeper into that with Andrew Lee, Andrew's Head of Sustainable and Impact Investing at UBS Global Wealth Management. Andrew, great to speak with you again. Welcome back to the show. So tell us, what do we mean when we talk about alignment here? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. So I think with all of the challenges that Julie's framed in the defined portion of it, um, which are social and environmental and broader societally, you know, I think the question is how to align capital and investment and investor and individual contribution to those social and environmental needs, right? And so the question is, how does one end up um, aligning the two? Because uh, frankly, all of these challenges don't exist in a vacuum, right? They affect the broader society and environment in which we all exist, in which capital is invested, in which um, you know we live and uh, and act as as an individuals. And so, how is it that we can take investment capital, which you know doesn't in its entirety contemplate a lot of these needs and challenges and resource constraints, and get them to be better aligned? from a long-term perspective. So I think that's really the question uh, that we're looking at. And so when we think about some of the uh, the efforts that have been taken on, so philanthropic efforts or impact investing, you know, these are means of deploying capital that do consider at the heart of how they're constructed and managed, you know, some of these uh, broader needs. And so thinking about what it is that, you know, impact and philanthropy, how they're designed, how they deploy capital, how they drive positive outcomes, and expanding some of those approaches to broader investment capital. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about alignment. There is not only an urgent need, but there's an urgent need for action at a scale that so far we just haven't been able to to deliver on. It's right. The scale problem is the issue, right? The the sustainable development goals that are framed out, you know, for uh, for achievement by the year 2030, really do evidence a gap of trillions of dollars that are needed in order to fill that. And while impact and philanthropy are oriented towards addressing those gaps, 
and certainly corporate action and individual action can help towards that, there is still that gap. And so how do we scale up initiatives that, you know, while they take broader stakeholder considerations into account, are still small on the relative scale? Um, that's the real key. So, you know, the broad uh, investment that's made in public capital markets and, you know, other capital that's deployed beyond these two approaches, how can they take the principles here um, and really apply them in different ways and with different levels of intentionality, but towards the same end objectives? That's the only way that we're going to actually be able to address the sustainable development goals, whether it's a capital gap or whether it's an action gap uh, in order to get to where we need to get to in the coming decade. And I suppose central to all of this is the way that the different stakeholders that you've mentioned collaborate, cooperate, work together, not just in the short or even the medium term, but in the long term. Tell us a bit about the nature of that challenge, because again, it always it's easy to talk about in the abstract, but it often there are, you know, incidental problems, challenges to overcome to facilitate and deliver that kind of collaboration. How how should that work better? I think collaboration is about, you know, identifying common sets of objectives and goals. I think, you know, generally speaking, you've got social and environmental challenges that are framed out as goals from an SDG perspective or otherwise that people recognize are, uh, are both challenges and opportunities. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the first step is aligning around what's the objective um, or what are the outcomes, what's the impact that uh, collectively we'd like to address with different types of capital, with different types of action. And and so I think the SDGs are helpful for providing some of that frame around it, because again, they're not just an investment framework. They weren't developed that way. The investment community has broadly adopted the SDGs as an objective. But um, this is about broader partnership across, you know, as we were saying, different types of capital, public and private capital, um, across different types of actors, investors, governments, corporates, individuals, and trying to make sure that, you know, all of this is aligned in the right way. And so I think what we have to recognize is um, some of these challenges, they can't just be addressed by philanthropic capital alone, for example, to get to the scale that you were talking about, or investment capital alone to get to the scale we're talking about. So it's about framing out the challenge and how best interventions or actions can be structured to address those outcomes and and actually have positive impact in those areas. So in some cases, that might be investment that's structured and designed appropriately. In other cases, it could be blended finance structures that bring both philanthropic capital and market rate oriented capital to bear, but structured in the right way. So you have different participants with different expectations for what they're you know, what their capital or involvement is is requiring, but oriented towards the same end outcome. So again, it's thinking about the impact or the outcome that's desired, working backwards to the appropriate combination of capital, the right stakeholders involved to get there. Andrew Lee. Let's hear from Julie Hudson again for a bit of a conclusion now. Before your final thoughts, though, Julie, Andrew did just mention blended finance there. And now it did strike me in the conclusion of the report, Julie, there was a little kind of flick talking about blended finance. This is another one of those, you know, I think sometimes it's maybe a little on vogue and people bandy this phrase around. But in a sense, blended finance as an investment approach kind of draws on a lot of the themes that you've been talking about and does offer, I don't know, it offers a bit of a template, doesn't it, for how one can make progress in this vague direction? Yes, I think it does. I think the blended finance paradigm is a really interesting paradigm. 
because it suggests that you can do more than one thing, right? You can harness two ideas and bring them together and make them a single entity so that each benefits the other. So I think blended finance is actually a very smart idea. Just finally, I guess it's nice to sort of draw all the threads together. What's the what's the potential here, Julie? I mean, at the risk of asking you an impossibly sort of open-ended question, what, what are the possibilities? Because it strikes me that we often begin these kinds of discussions in this realm by talking about the scale of the problem, the urgency of it, and how, as you said, these huge numbers in the abstract, five to seven trillion, they're almost impossible even to comprehend, far less to tackle immediately. And yet, there are so many positive notes struck in the piece. What are the possibilities here? And I guess it's important to keep those in mind. So going back to the white paper, I think really what we wanted to try and do was make the point that impact investing and philanthropy work on the basis of certain principles. And those principles include a clear focus and a clear intentionality. And those are exactly the qualities that need to be on the table across all of the different um, activities. So through the minds of all of the stakeholders involved in the area of sustainable investing. So I I think that's basically what we would hope for. Uh, What is really needed is a meeting of minds. And meeting of minds doesn't necessarily have to mean everyone agrees with each other. In a creative environment, obviously, you're going to get different points of view. But the idea of purpose and intentionality, I think, are ideas that anybody in any any of the stakeholder groupings that we talk about in the report is an easily understood concept. And I think that could actually, has the potential to drive things forward in a more constructive way. So I think it provides a little bit of hope. Julie Hudson. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.